the future of bread lies in its past. And so we started to think, but what is the past of, of bread? And then if, if, if you look in history, well, bakers have baked breads based on sourdough. It is, it is the very fundamental thing of baking. It has been done for 5,000 years. And, and actually the bakery as such has been disrupted 150 years ago when uh, the famous Louis Pasteur, the French scientist, he paved the way in order to start producing yeast on a commercial base. But that's the, the aim of having a place where sourdough is protected and safeguarded for the future. And at the same time, if you have the sourdoughs, why not use them to study? That's the aim of the, of the, of the sourdough library. This is the Sourdough Podcast, the show about the innovators, leaders, and creative trailblazers in our sourdough community and the stories behind the bread. On this episode of the Sourdough Podcast, Carl DeSmet joins me to talk about the Paratos World Heritage Sourdough Library. We discuss the history and science behind sourdough bread, as well as some of the unique stories behind the library's sourdough collection. Carl tells us how the concept for the world's only sourdough library came to fruition and how you can add your own sourdough starter to the growing worldwide database and help preserve sourdough biodiversity in our shared sourdough heritage. Before we get into the interview, I just wanted to acknowledge the current health crisis that continues to escalate around the world and especially here in the U.S., Rather than add to the constant cycle of bad news and panic, I thought I'd share an email that completely brightened my day. It comes from Megan in Anchorage, Alaska. She says, Hi Mike, I've been making sourdough bread for the past six months and just dove in deeper over the last few weeks as the COVID pandemic reaches across our world. I just discovered your podcast and have been listening to your episodes one per day as I walk my son for an afternoon nap. The combination of the Alaskan spring sun and the slow, devoted pace of discussion of one of my favorite foods proves to be deeply comforting in these uncertain times. I find myself wanting to share bread and starter even more so than before, even though public health recommendations keep me from doing so. Perhaps others feel the same? I'm seeing many first-time loves on my Facebook feed. Thanks for the podcast. I look forward to many to come. I hope you and your family and community are staying healthy. Megan. I just love the image of Megan connecting to our sourdough community on a walk with her son, despite everything that's going on around us. So thank you, Megan, for sharing that with me. It really gave me the motivation I needed this week to get back on the computer and produce this episode. I know many of you out there, like me, find yourself trapped at home or in my case with two young children who aren't in school can't go to the library, playground, or visit grandma. The confined space along with my wife working from home and stress that you can almost feel in the atmosphere everywhere you go has simply drained any energy, creative or otherwise, I might have had left at the end of the day. But it's messages like Megan's that encourage me to want to share, just like many of you out there are doing with your bread, starters, flour, and baking knowledge. There's been an explosion of interest right now in sourdough, and I see it everywhere I look on Instagram and online. I really believe our sourdough community is made for this moment and can share comfort with our local communities and companionship, if not in the physical sense of someone with whom you share bread, then companionship via Instagram, text, video calls. So thank you all who have checked in with me and my family or sent encouraging messages. My heart goes out to all of those in the food industry and small business community that have lost income or jobs. And we are so grateful to all of you essential workers and healthcare professionals on the front lines keeping us safe. So please stay safe out there, everybody. Stay home, keep baking, and share your bread with those in need when possible. And stay healthy. Don't forget to stick around after the episode for more music from Weston Perry. You can find more of his music and videos on his Instagram account, at Weston Perry Music, or for purchase wherever you download music. And now, here's my interview with Carl DeSmet. Hey, 
My guest today is Carl Desmet. Carl holds the unique title of Sourdough Librarian for the world's only sourdough library. Carl is speaking with us today from his home in Brussels, and he manages the Paretos World Heritage Sourdough Library in St. Vith, Belgium. The library was founded in 2013 with the goal of preserving baking knowledge in sourdough heritage and currently holds 115 sourdough cultures from around the world. And Carl is here today to tell us about his very important work. Carl, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I am so fascinated by this project. You're welcome. I'm fascinated too. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, tell us about your background, maybe before we get into the library. How did you um, come to this position and, and what, what were you doing before you became known as the sourdough librarian? In a nutshell. Eh? So I studied, In a nutshell. <laughs> I studied uh, bakery confectioner. Well, in Belgium, when you go to bakery school, you... You, you get trained in bakery, confectionery, chocolate, ice cream making, and candy making. So I did that for six years, and then in 88, I graduated. And then I started to work in a confectionery in Brussels. Then after six years, I wanted had, the owner wanted to sell me that business, and I wanted to buy it, but my wife didn't want to. So um, I decided to, to leave that bakery and to start to work for Puratos. Puratos was a, a quite known uh, company in Belgium. And I started in the lab as a as a technician doing some trials on on sourdough, actually on enzymes, on on all, all kind of ingredients in order to uh, to bake breads. And I did that for one year and a half, and then I was fed up with the the well. It was always doing the same thing, and there was not a lot of creativity involved. Yeah. So I moved, and I became a technical advisor for the Belgian market. And I did that for two years and a half. And then I became an international technical advisor. And I, I traveled around the world to show customers how to work with our products or to inspire them or to train our own people. And then in 2002, I got a, a flower allergy and I had to stop baking. And I, have, I was lucky oh. enough that within the company, I could reorient myself as a trainer. I became a trainer on the theory of ingredients and the baking process in order to train our salespeople and and technical advisors on, on the theoretical aspect of baking and what our ingredients were doing in order to help bakers. And then in 2008, we got this massive opportunity to rent a building in front of our production uh, in St. Vit, where we produced sourdough since 1994. There was a, a, a building from a golf, a golf club, an old, a golf club actually, and they were not very successful. So they, they couldn't sustain the building and they, they they asked us if we were not interested in renting it. And so that place, we turned that place into the center for bread flavor, a place where customers from all around the world can come and discover more about uh, sourdough, sourdough making and fermentation technology. And I was lucky enough that, that I got I got the job to be responsible for that center and to oh. turn it into the the what it is today. And so we started first. There was no oven. There was uh, there was a nice kitchen, but we didn't have a bakery, so we installed the bakery. We little by little we upgraded that place. With and then in 2013 we opened the sourdough library, and that's as of 2000 and, and I think 2016. Okay, Guy Frankel, uh, maybe some of, uh, of us know no uh -huh. uh, no guys on on Instagram with Sior. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, he was in Savid because I was launching the website of the Quest for Sourdough. And and uh, I was doing the explanation in the library about, and this is the library and this is how we do it. And he said, but Carl, you are the sourdough librarian. <laughs> and so I started, I started using. I started it's pretty using, catchy. Uh, and, and, yeah, yeah. So that, that's how I ended up in the position where I am today. Very, yeah, that's so interesting. And your background is in bread. You have a very unfortunate uh, allergy. <laughs> it sounds like you came to find yeah. out. Uh, I I still can eat it, but it's especially with rye flour. When when there is a lot of rye flour dust in the air, I'm, mm. I'm uh, yeah, I'm not good with that. Last year we had a, a workshop in the bakery, and some people were using a bit too much rye flour, and I didn't know when I walked in. And <laughs> well, they had the ambulance had to come and pick me up and bring. Oh me the wow, that's yeah. a severe. I was only there for a couple of hours. They gave me some adrenaline shots, and 
and it was fine. But yeah, rye flour is not my is not my best uh, best friend. <laughs> well, it doesn't seem like it's it's uh, kept you from your job and traveling the world and, and collecting these uh, sourdough cultures from uh, countries all over the place. And um, I'm interested to hear if you could tell us maybe just the genesis of the whole sourdough library concept. We, we collected actually our very first sourdough sample in 1989. It was a, a, a colleague of us who is this year he will retire. His name is Paul de Pau. And he was hired as a PhD student in '85 to see if if we would be if it would be feasible to produce commercially sourdough for uh, for our customers, and so he 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 started in '85 and in '89 he went to San Francisco and brought the sample back and that that was to me when I started to work in '94 for the company that was my very first sourdough I saw in my life because here in Belgium in the schools they just don't teach. Well, at least in those days, they didn't teach how to make sourdough and what it was. Every bread, every bread was risen with uh, yeast. Really? Now, that that was our very first sample we had without having the idea of making a library. And then in 2003, we have we invited uh, a lady in our company called Anna-Marie Dahl, and she was a Danish uh, futurist. A futurologist, I don't know her exactly how you say that exactly, but she like looks at what is happening today, what happened in the past, and she makes some predictions for the future. Hmm. And uh, the, the nice thing, one of her slides was uh, that in the future people would not need business cards anymore. And I was like, yeah, well, how, how are we going to do that? And her next slide in her presentation was Google me, and I think she was right <laughs> when. Today you Google someone, uh, you you find all the information you need, and as such, we we asked her to give us some prediction about the future, and she said, "Well, the future of bread lies in its past." Hmm. And so we started to think, but what is the past of of bread? And then if 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 you look in history, well, for more than five thousand years, bakers have baked breads based on sourdough. Mm-hmm. Not not based on a, on the commercial yeast because it was just not invented or or existed yet. But that that wasn't really a, a style that you were accustomed to in in Belgium at that time. Well, we we started to produce sourdough commercially in nineteen ninety four, and when I started to work for the company, we we had a product range having uh, sourdoughs uh, in liquid or in powder form. Now. When whenever you make a sourdough, you have to make the sourdough first, and it's active. So we we knew by then we we were, we knew what it was to bake with just sourdough. But so we decided to look a bit into the history, and we discovered a sourdough from a small town in in Altamura in the south of Italy, known already by the Romans uh, in 37 BC to have the best bread in the Roman Empire. And we went there and, and we worked together. We worked close together with Professor Marco Copetti. He's from the University of, of Bari and, and today he's in Bolzano in the north of Italy. And we, we, we took a sourdough from Altamura. We, we bought a sourdough actually from Altamura and we had it analyzed on its microbiological composition. The microorganisms that we found, uh, we we started to make a product uh, for our customers based on flour from Altamura, mm. the microorganisms from Altamura. We make a sourdough actually that we afterwards toast so you get the flavor of the product and it has its own fermentation power. It's a quite convenient thing. And that was the first time we had a sourdough really analyzed. Uh, and. A couple of years later, we decided to do a study on Italian sourdoughs. And so together with Marco Gobetti again, mm-hmm. we gathered uh, 17 starters from, from bakeries on, on Italy, in Sardinia, in Sicily. And we had those analyzed. And it was such a nice thing to see the diversity and the biodiversity. And the year after, we did the same, but we didn't went to the bakeries, but we went to the patisseries. Because in Italy, there's a, a distinction between the, the confectioneries and, and the bakeries. And the confectioners, they make their famous panettones. So we collected mm-hmm. like 17 sourdoughs to make panettone. And again, <laughs> that gave us a lot of insights. 
And then at at uh, the same time, there were two incidents happening. Uh, one was that my my boss actually, uh, who is the, the director of the business unit, he was called upon a baker in uh, Beirut, in Lebanon. Uh, and the baker asked us to register and to to write down his recipe and his protocol in order to make a cake. Kaak bread and kaak bread is a, a bread based on a fermentation of chickpeas. So it's not made on sourdough, but it's made on chickpeas. So you take chickpeas, oh, uh-huh. you add warm water, really hot hot water, and you ferment it for eight hours. And that water is then used after eight hours to take care of the fermentation. It's a very stinky, very smelly, <laughs> very unpleasant way of baking, but the result is amazing. But this this baker had two sons and they went to uh, Paris to an exhibition in, in Paris, Europa, and they discovered instant yeast. And when they went back to their bakery, they said to their father, you know what, whenever we take over the bakery, you and your chickpeas, you can, uh, well, we will not use your chickpea fermentation. It's too <laughs> complex. It takes too long. And, uh-huh. and the father was so disappointed that that his century-old process that he was doing, his grandfather and probably all of his ancestors were were doing. And so he called us, he said, listen, you're a reliable company. I would like to, to give you my protocol that you write it down in the day that my sons will <laughs> realize that what they do with yeast is not the same. Uh, <laughs> they can come back to you. It's, it's kind of a, a sad story. Of, <laughs> <laughs> we, we have the, we have the protocol and we we have everything so that it's not lost mm-hmm. and that was what what started the idea in Stefan isn't the, the, my mm-hmm. boss's name was Stefan Capella it in his mind started to grow that little seed because we had this collection of of 36 sourdoughs from Italy and then we had one from uh from the one from San Francisco, and in the meantime, we had three from Hungary and one and two from Greece. And, and one day he came to me and he said, "Well, we should do something with these sourdoughs. Um, can't we make a library?" And then yeah. I, I, I said, "Oh, a library? Yeah, we could we could do that." And that was on on uh, 2009, end of 2009 or 2010. But then it took us three years in order to get the money and uh, to convince mm. people within the company that we should do it. But that's the the aim of having a place where sourdough is protected mm-hmm. and and safeguarded for the future. And at the same time, if you have the sourdoughs, why not use them to study? Exactly. So that, yeah. That's the aim of the of the of the sourdough library. Oh, it's fascinating, fascinating. Well, it's interesting that you guys, you know, were uh, studying, yet you said 30, what, 36 different Italian uh, sourdoughs and something from yes. San Francisco and Greece. And um, I'd be interested to hear maybe like, uh, you know, what what's going on in, in Belgium and, and as far as like what type of sourdoughs were there. But um what you know? What? Why do you think, in general, like why do you think sourdough is so important, and, and why is it something you know, even worth uh, going to such great lengths to, to preserve? In your opinion, because it is it is the very fundamental thing of baking. Hmm. It has been done for five thousand years, and and actually the baking business or the baking business or or the bakery as such has been disrupted 150 years ago mm-hmm. when uh, the famous Louis Pasteur, the French scientist, he wrote his memoir on the alcoholic fermentation and he opened, he paved the way in order to start producing yeast on a commercial base. And yeast, I'm talking about 1867, now, that's the first time that the yeast factory actually opened its doors. And as such, yeast is a very easy product to make. It's it's fast. It, it helps you to make bread fast. It helps you to make bread in a consistent way and in an easy way because the yeast is ready to use. It's there on the shelf. So mm-hmm. that was for the bakers an amazing product. In 1867, you have to realize that I have, there is a book. I have a book from 18, uh, from 
1787, 1787, written by a French pharmacist, Augustin Parmentier, and he writes in that book, a sourdough should not be sour. Huh. And there's another quote that he's using and says, I feel sad for the bakers because they are such a, they are artists, but they are slave of their sourdough because mm -hmm. they have to feed it every three hours <laughs> and a half and as such, no, every four hours. And as such, they cannot sleep longer than three hours and a half. Now, imagine that we are today in the same situation and we have someone is offering us a product in order to stay in bed for eight hours. Mm. That's why why the, the sourdough market has been disrupted so heavily by the commercial yeast because mm -hmm. it was so convenient to use. Only we stopped making sourdoughs. Many countries forgot what it was, except in countries where you have a rye culture, Germany, Poland, Slovenia, Russia, uh, Scandinavia, Austria. In these countries, in Germany specifically, and the, and the Russians too, they have kept on cultivating sourdough. They have studied it and they have tried to make it as sour as possible. Because when you make rye bread, mm. you need a certain amount of organic acids in order to allow uh, all the enzymes to do their job and to kill them properly. Um, during the baking so in those countries knowledge was kept but then later on 100 years later when bakers in wheat countries realized that well we, maybe we should start baking again with sourdough well there was no there was no book hmm. where you had recipes only the, the the rye the rye knowledge and so people started to look on how to make a rye sourdough and use that on a wheat sourdough and and as such they do not refresh anymore today. I think there's not too many bakers refreshing their sourdoughs every four hours um, because we can put it in the chiller and people mm -hmm. are not afraid anymore of this, this sour in the dough. Yeah. But like 200 years ago, it was clear that people didn't want sourness in the bread. That's interesting. Yeah, well, I, I wonder if, you know, refrigeration obviously probably had something to do with that being an option now, you know, where back then you had to feed it because it would, it would exhaust with just like absolutely heat. Absolutely. Of the so mm. the bakers were just like young mothers. Eh? If you have or young, 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 uh, young elders, they know what we are talking about. If you have to wake up every four hours to feed your baby, you're happy that after a month or two, three, <laughs> your baby uh, sleeps during the night. Eh? Mm. Yeah, and it's interesting to to hear your story uh, of the baker who whose sons, you know, even in you know yes. in the nineties were, you know, just discovering instant yeast, and and he at the same time, you know, felt that there was a, a huge it's loss later, there. I'm talking, yeah, I'm talking. Yeah. Uh, early 2000, uh, 2004, 2005, it was, mm. you know, 2006, maybe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he, but he, you know, they may have just discovered instant yeast, but the, the father, yes. you know, sensed the, the loss of that history and the, the, yes. uh, the wisdom and, you know, gained over such a long time. Maybe you can help help us to kind of visualize um, on our audio podcast um, your your library and what uh, what you guys are doing there and and maybe it'd be helpful if um, you could give us maybe like an audio tour of uh, of the library and what people might see if they visited. Okay, so there's always the possibility to visit it online. Eh? There is on the website called the Quest for Sourdough you have access to the virtual library and very soon i don't know when this podcast is going to be released but by the end of april we've done an, a whole update of that virtual library so in in the library when you walk in the the walls are in wooden wooden uh, like are covered with wood and the roof is actually a picture of when you go into the woods and the trees are all green you lie on your back and you take a picture from the from the ground up to the the trees and that's how how the the, the roof of the library is looking and then there is uh, 
10 or 11, oh, I, I don't even know by heart, there is 10 <laughs> or 11 fridges um, where, uh, like like you see in, in uh, sometimes in a, in a store when you walk in where you have all the pops or the soda mm -hmm. installed, it's this kind of fridges where we keep at 4 degrees centigrade, which is, I don't know, somewhere in the 20s probably, mm -hmm. uh, or 30. Probably 30s. Degrees yeah. Fahrenheit. Uh -huh. um, and, and so we have shelf, there, there's the shelves, and then uh, on each shelf there is for the moment three sourdoughs. And as such, in your introduction, you said we have 115, but in the meantime, we have already uh, up to 100. 28 oh wow uh, they are not there is a couple in the 128 there is a couple of them who are who, who still we need to collect uh but they are already assigned but we have a physical sample number 128 in in the uh -huh. library and so as such there is like a tv two two tv screens where we can show different uh, different things there is a big a big uh, table it was a former table of the boardroom in Pirado, so it's a very important table. It has a lot of history, so we we put it in in the library, and uh, the light is a bit. It's not fully light. It's a bit dimmed, and through the through the roofing, uh, through the, the 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 picture on the wall on the roof with the trees, mm -hmm. where there is some light coming through. So it's uh, quite a nice atmosphere. Mm. Uh, it's very silent like in a library, although mm -hmm. that in this library, you don't have to whisper. That's <laughs> something that happens when people walk in, they start to whisper, but you can just speak, uh, speak normally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen the 3D tour and it's, it's great. You're, you're right there in the middle of the, the room ready to answer questions and, and you can click <laughs> well, on different... Uh, uh, it was the first, the, it's, uh, we, we went with that thing virtually in 2014 the technology in the meantime has changed so you will see whenever we we launch our our new virtual library it's going to be like from if we if this is a three out of ten we will be at eight out of ten really oh it's it's great as, as it is I, you know what i've seen it so far it was really interesting you just you can click on individual uh starters or, or sourdoughs and, yeah and get, there is you know, a, a whole a video button, history on it on the left, in the middle, on the left of the screen, there is a button that opens the catalog. So you can scroll through the catalog by country, by sourdough, mm. to see what is inside, which which dominant uh, lactic acid bacteria have been found, which dominant yeast strain, and so on. Mm -hmm. Now, I think a lot of people might be uh, familiar with the seed vaults in Norway. Uh, what, in yes. what ways are, is it similar or different to that uh, library? I mean, obviously we have, you know, living starters are, you yes. know, they're, are different from seeds. Um, <laughs> they well, have to bit, feed. We are a bit in the same category. Eh? Mm -hmm. What they do in uh, Svalbard, Svalbard is biodiversity preservation. Mm -hmm. What we do in the lab is the same, in the, what we do in the, in the library is the same. We preserve the biodiversity from each sourdough that we collect. We analyze, we identify, and we isolate every microorganism that we find. So mm. as such, they go, these, these microorganisms, they are stored in little, little tubes, and we preserve them in a freezer at minus 80 degrees. So as such, that, that is the comparison with what is happening in Svalga. But then we still have the, the actual sample of sourdough. And that one we have to keep alive. And therefore yeah. we need to feed it every two months. So that's that's where the diff the biggest difference is, is that okay, in Svalgard, it's it's frozen, everything is stored for eternity. Mm -hmm. In the library, we have to feed the sourdough. So we do that every two months. Each sourdough gets refreshed three times with six hours in between, and then we put it back in the fridge uh, for another two months. And from each sourdough, we have the original flour, or sometimes it's even more, it's two, three, there's one sourdough that is uh, containing six types of flour. So we have not only the collection <laughs> wow. of sourdoughs, we also have a collection of plenty of different kinds of flowers that the owners send us 
once a year. Okay. Yeah. No, that, you know, that the duties you, you carry out there as, as the sourdough library, that was, you know, a lot of great listener questions came from that and myself as well. You know, I, I'd love to hear more about that. You know, specifically, I was wondering if you could tell us, yeah, how do you maintain, you know, such a diverse array of, of sourdoughs? And, uh, you know, it, it seems like an impossible task because I've watched a few videos and I watched, you know, one on uh, your sourdough from Guadalajara. And, and this is what, you know, it requires beer and, you know, Mexican beer, eggs yes. and lime. Okay. <laughs> how, how do you feed all the starters and, and how do okay. you use those? Uh, flowers right. where they originate so we get the flower we store them when whenever we have constantly every week or another there is a bag of flour coming in because not everybody is sending their flour at the same time mm. and then we we i have wonderful assistants uh, in saint Fritz. and then so one lady is taking care of the collection and she's putting uh, if there is a bag entering we scoop the bag into buckets they get labeled and then we have a room at uh, a chilled temperature where we store the flour. Mm. And so every two months we prepare our room. So she takes all the flowers and she puts it in the room where we, where we are doing the refreshments. And then when we do the actual refreshments, we are, so there is Mariana, that's the lady who is taking care of the flour. She's also cleaning everything when we are mixing. Mm -hmm. There's one person who is scaling. That's mostly me now. And then there is another guy. Jan Willem Groen, who is my assistant, he's, uh, he's doing all the mixing. And as such, we start on Monday morning with the first series of, let's say, more or less 40 sourdoughs from number one till number 40. And we give them a first feed. So we have all the recipes. Mm -hmm. And so we, we, we take care of the, the water. So we, we follow exactly what the bakers gave us as a recipe that they are using. So we have their flour, their water, enfin, not the water, but their quantities. And so we respect those. And then mm -hmm. these, these sourdoughs go for when they have been refreshed, they go for six hours in the proof box at uh, 35 degrees centigrade, which is somewhere 97, I guess, in Fahrenheit or uh -huh. 100. Um, and then... After six hours, we put them away for one night in the fridge at four degrees centigrade. Wow. And then the next day in the morning, we take those 40 and we give them a second feed. And then they go in uh, again in a hot proof box at 100 Fahrenheit uh, for, one, for six hours. And while they are in the proof box, we start already with the second series. So we go from <laughs> 41 till uh, 80. And as such we end on Thursday evening. So we start on Monday morning wow. and we end on Thursday evening, giving all these sourdoughs uh, three feeds. What so it's a, quite a lot of work. Yeah. But it's amazing because, okay, the, when, when you open the jars after they've been two months in the fridge, they smell kind of uh, sour, uh, not really acetone because mm -hmm. it's still okay, but, uh, but, but sour. Hour, and then you feed them and the first or the second time you open the bucket you you see already that they start bubbling but by mm. the third time oh they are like, like amazing they jump to you huh? when you open the <laughs> lid of the of the of the buckets they are like yeah i'm ready i'm ready i'm ready i want to go yeah. so it's amazing and you discover so all these different fermentation powers all yeah. the, the the different aromas that 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 you get are yeah, just amazing. It just seems like you're you'd be taking like a, a tour of the world, like just through the the, the smells yes. of each of, of the flowers and the, and the different yes. uh, sour flavors from the you know the old starters, and then just kind of yeah. you know taking the journey as you're feeding them, and, and just yeah. you know, and you're able to do that with each one of the individual sours. There's, wow, yes. Such I can't even imagine such an amazing uh, process. Uh, very in depth, very uh, energy. The nice thing is that okay, we have well, the, every time we get new sourdoughs, we have we have like uh, uh, I, I have quite a lot of colleagues who are from R and D and who are mm. trained on sensory analysis, mm. and so. Uh, we have one one amazing lady called Guylaine Lacaze, 
uh, and, she, and she comes from time to time and she studies the, the, the aromas and the flavors and we describe them. So we make these kind of spider webs. And as such, we collect data about, okay, uh, maybe one day we will be able to say, oh, if you use that kind of flower and you use, you have that kind of microorganism, the flavor you are going to generate will be almond or it will be coffee or it will be banana or it will be strawberry or whatever so it, it's amazing to see what you mm -hmm. can well a library is a place to study mm -hmm. that's the most funny thing and you can study books in many different ways you can look at the pictures or you can read it or you can look into an yeah. encyclopedia for something specific well that's what we do in the library you have finally a place where everything comes together whenever you want to know something about sourdough well in the library you are most well, but maybe the chances are the highest to find what you are looking for. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and then one of the questions from our uh, one of my buddies, Chris Lamb, he asked, how do you guys decide which sourdoughs uh, to keep in the library? How do you get yes. a spot in the library? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, there's a couple of things that uh, we, we look into. First of all, and that's the, the most important thing, is that the sourdough... Has to be has to come from a spontaneous fermentation. Mm. By that I okay. mean, for example, Germany. Germany is a country where you you have probably the most sourdoughs on earth because every baker every bakery has at least one or two or even three four sourdoughs. Wow! But they are all made from a starter culture that they buy commercially. And they do that because sourdough in Germany is very technical. It needs to acidify the rye bread. They are not, not into the, 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 the romantic uh, stuff and the history and the heritage. No, no, it's technical to acidify the mm, dough. Mm -hmm. So these sourdoughs have no chance because we know what is available in, uh, in these starter cultures and they do not contribute to the biodiversity. So we look at the way the sourdough has been created hmm. we look at the the region where it comes from for example we have already 39 sourdoughs from italy in our uh, collection well if tomorrow a baker from italy is asking to have his sourdough in the library it will be more difficult for mm -hmm. him than someone from costa rica for example or if someone from uh, a country where we do not have sourdough from yet that will be easier but so we look at the 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 way it is made, the region or the country where it comes from, what kind of flour is used. Mm. For the moment, we have a lot of wheat sourdoughs. This year, and now with the corona crisis, everything is delayed. But this year, we wanted or we are willing to do a study on whole wheat and rye sourdoughs. Mm. So the more people who would register their sourdough, if they have a whole wheat or a rye or a whole rye sourdough, and they register it on the website. They can become part of the study. We are going to collect 60 whole wheat or 30 whole wheat and 30 rye sourdoughs in order to study them. And from those, we are going to select a couple to be in the library. Wow. So kind of flour is important. Uh, we don't have a lot of spelt flour. We have nothing with, yeah. uh, with corn inside. So... There's, there's probably some stuff out there that we do not have. And then the age. Uh, sometimes I get a, a question on Instagram or through Facebook from people say, oh, I want to have my sourdough in the library. But then it, they created it like six months ago. That's not. We, <laughs> yeah. we are looking for mature sourdough. So let's say they need to have at least five, five years, preferably 10, 15, or who knows, 100 or 200 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. These are a bit the things that we take into account if we want to have sourdough in the library. But but that said, if I can uh, yeah. just go for the technology to analyze sourdoughs is getting cheaper and cheaper. Yes, my dream is one day, and I hope that within the five next years I can do that. Everybody who is registered with his or her sourdough on the on the website of the Quest for Sourdough. I would like to send them a little sample kit where they can put in some of their starters, send it back to me, and <laughs> that I can analyze all of them. That's yeah. my goal. And, and I'm sure that we are already, I wouldn't mention if we are already not looking into that. Yeah, but like uh, Ancestry DNA have, 
kits yes. for sourdough. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And oh. it will come. It will come. Yeah. So the more people register, the more chances they have ending up in the sourdough. I think people would be very interested to know exactly, you know, the makeup of their specific sourdough uh, starter. You have you, no be idea. able to compare it. Yeah. You have no idea how much I would like to know that mm. because it's it's amazing to see. And and of course, the more data you have, the mm-hmm. the better it is to make assumptions or to look into new studies on because every time we get a new sourdough or we do an experiment we have like 10 new questions popping up (laughs) yeah that kind of leads me to my next question about you know what are some of the things that you've learned after collecting and archiving these sourdoughs for for seven years and Uh you know maybe one of those things you can talk about is you know being able to look at older starters and comparing them to younger starters like you said you know yes. you're really interested in, in collecting young starters you know what's what is something you you've been able to learn about older starters compared to newer ones mm-hmm. well there is something with older starters eh? it's uh, it's uh, it's always difficult because you can just not carbon date a starter yeah. there's no way that you can look at a starter today and say, oh, that one is 150 years old. You have to kind of <laughs> trust and rely on the people who give them to you. Mm. Um, but but probably, again, in the future, it will be possible. Or at least in the library now, we know and from the samples that we have, we know since when we have them. So in 20, 30, 40, 50 years, if the library still exists, we can go back and look into the difference between a starter that is read, just made and one that we have probably for 50 years in our collection. But what we see, if, if we if we look into the starters that come from 1896 from the Klondike Gold Rush, yeah. uh, it's it's the one that we have from Will Will uh, Will Lawrence Grant from uh, that's a some pizza on Bainbridge Island. That's that's one of the most complex sourdoughs that we have in the collection, and he's going back to the Klondike Gold Rush. There is like six six uh, species of lactic acid bacteria and three types of yeast. In a normal sourdough, you have one type of yeast and one or two types of lactic acid bacteria. Hmm. Now, is it linked to the age? Well, I cannot say because on the same trip, when I collected his sourdough, I also collected the sourdough from Ione uh, Christensen uh, from Whitehorse. And she has a sourdough from her great-grandfather, who was one of the first pioneers doing the Klondike Gold Rush. And and in that sourdough, we only found one type of yeast and two types of lactic acid bacteria. So it's we cannot say it's linked to that or that or that. So the, the thing with the library is that we discover amazing things, but we still cannot prove it. I'll give another <laughs> example. We have... We have uh, a sourdough from Switzerland, uh, made from whole wheat rye flowers uh, from a bakery that is already existing for six generations, so since 1886. And then we have that sourdough from Mexico that is refreshed with with uh, with the beer, the lime, and the eggs. Um, and so these two sourdoughs contain the same type of wild yeast, and it's hmm. called the Torulaspora del Bruchi. That's the strain of yeast. Now, one is wheat, one is rye, and they have nothing in common except the altitude. The city of ah. Guadalajara is built on 1,500 meters, and that bakery in the Swiss Alps is also up at 1,500 meters. Wow. So again, in the future, I would like I would like to shout out to people who have registered their sourdough on the website to say, listen, if you live at 1500 meter altitude, wow. please let me collect a sample of your mm. sourdough in order to compare them and see if the altitude has something to do with the life that you get in your sourdough. Who who would have thought you know something like altitude would, would have an effect on the well, type of... Hey, hey, Michael, Michael, I, I am not saying that it does. Maybe it's just <laughs> a coincidence. Coincidence. But I, that's, that's stuff that we would like to yeah. investigate. Yeah. That's the beauty about the library. And that's why I'm so, I'm so crazy about it. Because I'm, I'm a very curious person. Mm-hmm. I like to know stuff. So, uh, 
Well, the yeah, possibilities are endless. That question about you know comparing older starters to new ones. I was from OC, uh, at OCMAS, and another question from um, Nostalgiamatic. She wanted to know, you know, is there a way that you guys can observe any, you know, individual traits that might represent like unique health benefits, you know, specific uh-huh. to one star, oh, one question. region or another? Beautiful question. Um, specific to one or another region, no. We know overall, we know that sourdough is an amazing way to make bread, especially when it comes to digestibility and absorption of nutrients mm-hmm. for by our body for the simple reason that actually the human body is not created or it's not designed to digest wheat mm. we need if you eat a, a grain kernel you swallow it and it will come out of our body there's just <laughs> no way that it digests now if you would if you would crush that with your teeth and bite on it you will have a little bit of the nutrients if you would grain it into flour and eat a spoon of flour, you would get a bit more of nutrients. If you make a bread with yeast, you get more nutrients. But if you make a sourdough and then a sourdough bread, what you do is actually you give the time to the microorganisms in the sourdough. But these microorganisms are the same as what we have in our gut. You give them the time to digest the flour and to make all the nutrients available because there is in flour or on a grain kernel you know that there is or maybe you don't know but there is kind of phytic acid mm-hmm. that phytic acid is actually preventing our body to absorb the nutrients because it forms a barrier between the nutrients and our body now by by creating a sourdough in a sourdough you produce organic acids and these organic acids lower the pH Mm. By lowering the pH, you give at a certain moment, you allow an enzyme called phytase to cut these phytic acids to decompose them. And as such, the barrier to, to absorb these nutrients in our body is gone. That's the beauty of sourdough. It allows the nutrients of the flour, they is fermenting it and allows our body to absorb them the maximum and but that's, that's why sourdough bread is so amazing for, yeah. for us bread um, i'm i think that every bread is good if it's made with yeast or or not even a yeasted bread is good because i've been eating yeasted bread my entire life and mm-hmm. i've never had any any problems and i know many people like that but with sourdough it's just like something amazing and mm-hmm. we are for the moment participating in different studies on digestibility, on the influence of uh, of uh, sourdough on the microbiome and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So the future will will tell us yeah. uh, even more benefits. But this is what we know today is just the nutrients that are present in the grain are fully available for our body if you go through a, a, a sourdough bread process. Yeah, well, it'd be interesting to learn. I think if if we were able to ever, you know, identify specific microorganisms that did open up different health benefits, you know, depending yes. on the wheat or depending well, on the region or that it's grown. I, I could even I have even stuff for another podcast of an hour. Because <laughs> we we are we are we have this we have created a new product, which means uh, it's called the first bakery on Mars. As a company, we are looking into okay. What if we are one day going to colonize Mars? What do we need if we want to make bread there? So we need to grow our own wheat. We need to have a sourdough. We need to grow it sustainable and so on. <laughs> so we do that project. We are the main sponsors, but we have found five partners. One, <laughs> one company who is doing urban cropping and we grow indoor wheat. And another one is monitoring how the wheat is growing. And another one is looking at how can we make that wheat more sustainable uh-huh. and normally in a couple of weeks i was going to make with the wheat that we've grown inside these containers the first sourdough because that sourdough is it, the wheat is grown in a closed environment no pesticides so we don't know what is going to be available on that wheat but probably through that project <laughs> of making the first bakery on mars we will discover plenty of stuff that we don't have to wait to bake on mars that we are going to be able to apply here on Earth. 
Wow, that's a fascinating thought experiment. Uh, well, if you ever need a, a sourdough starter, you know, to uh, to take to Mars, I, I'll gladly volunteer mine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe another question um, regarding, you know, what you guys have, you know, uh, discovered maybe in the last seven years. Um, I'm curious, you know, what 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 are some maybe advances in, in bread science, or, or are there any types of innovations in the uh, bread industry that have come out of this venture or this the, the library project? Well, actually, the sourdough library is uh, an initiative non-for-profit. So it's not that we use the sourdough library in order to commercialize products. We have one or two sourdoughs from the library that we used in order to create a commercial product, but that was before we had the idea of, mm -hmm. of uh, creating a library. So what 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 is coming out so what we do is that we do a lot of co-creation with customers who who need sourdough in a consistent way because they have big bakeries and they cannot afford to have fluctuations and i think that everybody who has a sourdough knows that your sourdough is not every week or every day the same so mm -hmm. sometimes in bigger bakeries they 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 say okay i i ask a specialist to make my sourdough because we just don't have the time and the know-how to do that. So they like like people who are making croissant, they buy the butter from butter specialists mm -hmm. and they don't start to make their own butter. Mm -hmm. Or chocolatiers buy their chocolate and they don't they don't crush the beans and so on. Mm -hmm. um, we have that kind of customers. And so we then we do co-creation. So we by learning from the library uh, how to preserve a sourdough eh? because mm -hmm. we didn't we they, we didn't just decide on that protocol that I was explaining you earlier uh, to maintain the sourdough and to refresh them. That is something that has been done in in the laboratory or in the University of Marco Gobetti. He has written down that protocol. So about the way to preserve sourdough, we learned a lot. And these are things that we can help our customers with. Like, okay, if you have the sourdough, you have to preserve it in that, that temperature. Uh, the mm -hmm. best is to 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 give a viscosity of so much by adding so much water uh, and then the influence of water because we do similar to the library we study also other other things there has been a study on water for example mm -hmm. we have checked if the water has impact on mm -hmm. the making of the sourdough or the water that we are using in the library will yeah. that impact the life in the sourdough and we've seen that whenever you start a sourdough with different kind of waters, with the yeah. same flour, different waters and the same protocol, you end up with different microorganisms in your starter. Okay, so the water yeah. has influence when you develop a sourdough. But once you have a mature starter and you refresh it with different kind of waters, you see that there is no more impact. Wow. Okay. The, the conclusion of the scientist who did the, the study is Fabio. Minerzi from uh, from the university in Bari. He said, "Well, from the mother you are always sure, and the mother he referred to the sourdough. From the mm. father you are never sure, and he referred <laughs> to the water." Uh. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, I mean so that would cause a lot of that we learn. Yeah, I mean that seems like that would you know almost make it impossible to have a sourdough library if the water you know had that much of an effect. Uh, yeah, that you know. would then it would be just like a way too expensive, way too complex to maintain. Mm -hmm. But luckily, if you have good tap water, uh, and we have because Sankt is is very 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 close. It's twenty minutes away from the city of Spa. You know mm -hmm. the Spa where all the Spa was invented. So we have <laughs> one of the purest waters. There. Well, it seems like yeah, the possibilities are endless, and and just all the you yes. know the things you can learn by cataloging all of this data from across the world is just yeah, it's just an endless uh, bottomless pool of 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 information that seems like we're going to be able to you know glean off of for generations and and keep uh keep oh, that yes. you know for for future uh, generations and. So yeah, I, I, man, I can't wait to see where you guys take this idea and you know moving forward and um, 
you know, we're we're approaching. We just passed our hour, but maybe we'll finally we'll we'll, we'll end with one final question, and and maybe this is a a good one I got from um, a guy called Krusty Calvin. He wanted he said, you know, your website says you can include interesting stories along with your starter. Um, do you have a favorite story or or starter that you know has a, a oh, favorite history? I, uh, I first of all, I love history. Now, I don't have a favorite starter in the library. I have one where I feel more connected, and that's the sourdough that we got in '89 from San Francisco. Because when I started to work for the company in '94, that was my very first sourdough I had to refresh, and the sourdough that I baked with for the first time in my life. Mm. So it's number 43 in our collection. <laughs> number 43. Now, the other, uh, there is some amazing stories. Uh, recently, I, I've been, and, and the, the, the movie will be released like late next week, I will release my movie of a quest for sourdough in Turkey. I've seen a, bre- a baker making bread. I'd, I'd never seen do that before. Uh, and it, the bread is baked four hours in a in a wood fired oven. It's an amazing bread, yeah? and it's somewhere in the mountains in Turkey near the Black Sea. Hmm. It's it's just crazy to see how people got inventive, how people make their bread. So that that's one thing that I will never forget. Hmm. Um, the the history of the Klondike Gold Rush sourdough is also something amazing because. I've done the gold. I've done the the trip from from Seattle to Dawson City. I did it, but I did <laughs> wow. it in luxury, with uh-huh. uh, with uh, by plane, by by a car, by camper. But to maintain a starter in mm. in those conditions is comp- even we in the camper we had difficulties to keep the starter going. I almost had to take it into bed with me to keep it. Warm. <laughs> um, so this. There's so many, many stories. Yeah. Uh, the story from the Japanese sourdough that was coming from one of the last samurai uh, who, who converted himself into a baker and, and, and created a sourdough based on rice, cooked rice. That's, that's again, something I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't have favorites because it would, it would just not do good to all the others. Yeah. <laughs> Every sourdough is unique and and it's like i i we have this sourdough from eric geyser from 1997 uh and we have that since 2013 he was one of the first ones to to donate his sourdough and we had that analyzed in 2013 but last year we this this sourdough is part of a digestibility study of sourdough and so we added we have it analyzed again and we found back a bacteria um because we are screening for more, not only the dominant, but also the subdominant species that is often found in the gut of a honeybee. And so we find that back after 20 years, uh, after being seven years in the library and 20 years after the creation, the sourdough was created with honey. So we still find back today that microorganism, that is that make every sourdough extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you guys have done such a great job of, of cataloging these. Um, Michael, screens. we are only starting. Andrew. You have no <laughs> idea. We are only starting. But you, what you have so far, I can't recommend it more highly to people to go and, and click on these. Uh, go go take the 3D tour. Click on the, the samples in the tour. And you could link to these stories and these great videos you guys have of on the on the source and how you guys collected these um, samples and the history, all many of the ones you just talked about. One of my favorites, I lived in Guadalajara for a while and kind of saw okay. how the history of Guadalajara, the Birote in, in, in Guadalajara. Yes. And, oh, fantastic. Uh, in, in the, well, I, I, I forgot to mention, but you said uh, it's refreshed with beer and with lime and with eggs. Mm-hmm. Now, the baker does that in wintertime every two weeks and summertime every, once a week. Okay, but he does that. He doesn't really know why he's doing it uh, <laughs> yeah. because he he got it, he learned it that way. But we, we do not really know the impact. The lime brings some acidity, so it allows the sourdough to acidify very fast, and it prevents pathogens to grow in it. That's that's the certainty. Mm. But in the library, we do 
do not refresh every week. We only refresh once every two months. Mm -hmm. So one year is the equivalent of one week in uh, in Guadalajara. So since we have the sourdough in the library, we've only refreshed it once with the beer that was brought from Mexico and with eggs and lime. Uh, well, lime <laughs> also from Mexico, but we used eggs from uh, Belgium. But we only did it once. Uh huh. Well, it got me curious what what type what type of Mexican beer you have because you know I'm a, a connoisseur no, no, we, we are, <laughs> of Mexican it's, beer. It's, it's uh, it's, it's co colleagues who are coming over from Mexico when they come to Belgium. They bring me a bottle. Uh -huh. That's great. Well, Carl, I could sit and talk with you about the history of bread and and the individual histories uh, of all your starters maybe it's food, and food for another podcast. Eh? We oh, I'd love it. Series. I'd love to have you back on and. Uh, you guys just have so much, so much information, so much uh, to share, and um, you guys have done just a great job of, of cataloging it all and, and making it so accessible to everybody. Uh, what What are some ways people can connect with you, and, and what are some ways uh -huh. people can get involved with this project? Okay, so the the best they can do, and I hope that many listeners now will really do it, is that we have the website called thequestforsourdough.com where they can register online their own starter or even more you can have a whole inventory and so you you sign up it's free and we will never charge you for anything but it's just a place where we want to have a better view on the world of sourdough and for me to find those rare sourdoughs mm -hmm. that need or that deserve a place in the library mm -hmm. so that's why we shout out to people to register their starters or more starters if they have them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, then they can share their recipe, the way they do it, some pictures of their sourdough. It's a, it's a nice way to, to share. And last I and saw, then, you guys have about 1,800 of those. There's, there's, there's about 1,800 for the moment. Yeah. Um, uh. Next to that, we have a Facebook page, which is called The Quest for Sourdough, where we share information about uh, the library or what we do with, with sourdough. And then last but not least, there is my uh, Instagram account, mm -hmm. uh, which is the sourdough librarian, where I share tips and tricks, things I find interesting, pictures from my travels when I go on a quest for sourdough. Well, a a anything that can be done there and people can connect through with me if they have questions through uh, that account. Great. If, if there is other people on, on LinkedIn, I have a, a profile with my name, Carl Desmet, uh, uh, but I'm also positioned there as the sourdough librarian. Also there, people can follow. There I do some more publications about uh, movies uh, that I find interesting or scientific stuff or a bit more professional on LinkedIn, a bit more fun, <laughs> still, still, uh, still interesting on yeah well that's yeah instagram we have such a great uh sourdough community out there and, yes, and people are passing ideas and sharing wisdom amazing. out there and so yeah that's an that's, amazing community yeah yeah well I'm, that's how we got connected and i'm so glad we did and well you have no idea how many nice people i've already met since i'm on that quest for sourdough it's just, uh, i don't know people who love sourdough have something in their blood that, mm -hmm. that i don't know it's different I, I can't agree more. Well, Carl, thank you so much for coming coming on the show, and thank you for all the work you're that you're welcome, doing Mark. out there to, to preserve our, our sourdough heritage. And it's uh, it's been great talking with you. All right, thank you. It's my pleasure, and bye bye to everyone. And maybe until next time, I'm free to do that. All right, yeah, I'd love it. All right, okay. bye, Carl. Bye bye, Michael. If you feel like you've been inspired by the Sourdough Podcast, please consider supporting it by visiting thesourdoughpodcast.com and clicking on the donate button in the top right corner. Another way to help the podcast grow is by being sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Additionally, another easy thing you could do is to take a screenshot right now. I even give you permission to pause the podcast, so go ahead and share it on Instagram and be sure to tag me. I love resharing your posts, and of course, it's super helpful in sharing the podcast with others. See you next time, but until then, please enjoy this first full-length track from Weston Perry that played after my interview with Emily Rafa in November 2018.
entitled We Sail. I made myself a little 